Just want to mention one thing to you. It's kind of cool how God does things and ties in perfectly with the song we just sang at Jaira, You Are Enough. This past Wednesday night, our get-together, my little devotional Bible study was Psalm 73. And the message of Psalm 73 is that Asaph, who wrote the psalm, and by the way, this doesn't cost you anything, this is free. So Asaph, who wrote the psalm, was having a difficult, very, very hard time. He was looking at his circumstances around him, and everybody who was anti-God seemed to be really prospering, and those that were pro-God, pure in heart, quote, like him, were really struggling. And, it, and the message of the psalm up until the end is, I'm wasting my time living for God in the midst of this culture and my circumstances, and it's just not paying off. And then you get to the end of the psalm, the latter portion, and he says, and then I got alone with God. The term in Hebrew is he got in the sanctuary. I got alone with God, and I realized he was enough. And he praised to God. So I realized you're all I need, whether it's in heaven or on earth, you're all I need. And that you will handle those that are anti-Christ, those that are mocking you, and the culture and the circumstances, you'll handle those. And, and that I trust you, you're, you're enough. So... The reason I bring that up beyond just a moment of encouragement is we're doing that every Wednesday night. So if you would like to come, and whether you come, you can come at 6 and eat with us. And the food's fantastic. A plug for Pink Flamingo. Uh, I don't know who does their cooking, but they're really good at it. But you can come and eat with us if you want to at 6, or you can come at 6.30 and, and have the Bible study time with us. So student ministry across the street, children over here. It's just a cool time in the middle of the week just to, to spend a little time together as the body of Christ. All right, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 10 and kind of let you know where we are today. As we continue our series in looking at the great I Am statements of Jesus Christ. If you look at the top of your handout, and it says that John 8, 58, the kind of great summary statement, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, the Jews, said, before Abraham was, I am. I am Jehovah Jireh, I am Yahweh, I am all uh, the names of God that they knew and they had memorized. It was part of their culture and their lives, their very fabric of their being, particularly the Pharisees, yet they didn't know God. And Jesus was trying to communicate to them, I am God. And so throughout the Gospel of John, it records these, these great I am statements. I'm the bread of life, and I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and we're going to look at all of those, some we already have, but what we're going to look at starting this week, Stan, I don't know if I'm getting a tremendous echo up here, I don't know if it's all over, if it's just me, but if it sounds good to you guys, I'm cool with it. I don't guess I can shout. All right, thank you, Stan. What we're going to look at starting today is kind of tied in with what the, also the next one we're going to look at, and it's in John chapter 10, there are two of these statements. One of them is, I am the door. That's the one we're going to look at today. The other one is, I am the good shepherd, which we're going to be looking at in a couple of weeks. Well, those are tied together. I'm the door to the sheep. We're going to talk a lot about the sheepfold and that kind of thing starting today. So some of these, this, this metaphor is going to be tied together, and what we cover in I am the door, we will skip when we get to I am the good shepherd, so you won't have to hear it twice. But my point is this. We need to focus in on what Jesus says in context and make sure we get it. Because when he said to the Jews, before Abraham was, I am, they immediately knew. And we've seen that every time he says, I am, in that language, he is saying, that statement, they knew he was saying, I am God. 
just by the way you said it, just by the very language. So what, John, what this lesson is going to look at, the door, is that he's the door to everything the sheep need. They can get it by coming through him. And then he's going to talk about being the good shepherd, the one who takes care of, provides, protects. It's, it's, uh, we're talking about being the provider, singing about that today. That's when, when I am the good shepherd. So what you have in John chapter 10, historically and contextually in scripture, John chapter 10 is the last public teaching of Jesus that John is going to record. He's going to transition into uh, more private stuff and like raising Lazarus from the dead with that group and his time alone with the upper room discourse with, the, with only the 11. And so this is his last public teaching and, and it's a masterful chapter in which the Holy Spirit leads John to record all the major themes of the gospel, the death of the Savior for mankind. It's going to focus on the deity of Jesus Christ and his union with the Father. Focus on his voluntary, substitutionary, atoning death. All those great theological terms. And that his substitutionary, atoning death was sufficient. The sufficiency of the atonement for, for Christians. So what Jesus is going to be doing in John chapter 10, I want you to start with me in verse 17. If you look there, verse 17. Jesus says, therefore my Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. And we'll get into that, and we'll exegete that in more detail later. But this is kind of a summary statement. What Jesus is doing in John chapter 10 is focusing on those who would be sheep. He is demanding from them a response, and that response is worship me because I am. Worship me because I am God. Our response to his teaching, to his works, to his life, is not to just say, you know, I want to follow this guy because uh, he's a better choice than anybody else. No, he's saying you must worship me because I am God. I am not just an incredible mortal human being even though he's the greatest human being that ever walked the planet. I'm not just a great teacher, even though he's the greatest teacher that ever walked the planet. I'm not just a great example, even though he was the greatest example that's ever walked the planet. He said, far beyond that, I, yes, I'm 100% human, but I'm also 100% God. And therefore, if you're going to follow me, you must worship me. And as C.S. Lewis said, and we'll look more at that later, he's either a lunatic on the level of a man who thinks he's a poached egg or he's God. He's Lord of all, C.S. Lewis phrase. He's either Lord of all, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. And so we have to decide. It's our cho choice. Look down to verse 19. Therefore there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings, and many of them said the Jews, he, Jesus, has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? In other words, he doesn't speak like a crazy man. And the things that he does are not those of a crazy man. We don't know who he is, but he's not demon possessed. He's not crazy. He's not insane. He's either God or he's, he's an incredible man. I want to read you a quote. And we're going to get into John chapter 10 because I think this quote kind of helps set the stage for what we're going to look at. 
by John Piper, pastor, says this. We, Christians, are a people who worship Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. For there are places in the world that that would get you killed. We don't just admire him or follow him or swear allegiance to him. We worship Jesus. We worship him as the eternal, uncreated, omnipotent, all-wise creator, sustainer, and redeemer of the universe. He is God, one with the Father and the Spirit, and we worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. One God in three person, in persons. One God in three persons. We worship Jesus. It's a huge difference, end quote. It's a huge difference between saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ and saying, maybe I'll be a fan. I think a lot of him. It was a book written several years ago called I'm a Follower, Not a Fan. Christians are followers. We are in Christ. The word Christian itself simply means a little Christ. I want to emulate him in every way that I can, but I want Christ in me to be what people see. That's my hope of glory, Paul told the church at Colossae. So what you've got in John chapter 10 in verses 1 through 10 is Jesus' sermon. Again, I want to set the context. Remembering the focus of chapter 10 is to bring people to worshiping Jesus Christ as God because he is the door and he's the good shepherd. So what you see in John 1, 1 through 10, chapter 10, excuse me, verses 1 through 10, is Jesus' sermon to these Pharisees that result from his confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees following their excommunication of the blind beggar Jesus had healed. So what you're going to see is Jesus is going to contrast their blindness, pardon me, their blindness I know you wanted to hear that. He's going to contrast their spiritual blindness with the beggar's physical blindness, them being false shepherds as opposed to Jesus being the true shepherd. Look at chapter 9 with me for just a moment to set this context. Verse 13, 9-13. Now Jesus had healed this man with congenital blindness. He'd been blind from birth. Everybody knew him. And when he was healed, everybody knew it. Verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. This is after Jesus healed him, obviously formerly blind. It was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. That's very important. Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. They were more upset that Jesus worked on the Sabbath than the word that this man can now see. They, they should have been excited for him. And all they cared about is Jesus had done something on the Sabbath. All right. Verse 15. And the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight, the blind man. And he said to them, he, Jesus, put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? The blind man said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents, parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked his parents, saying, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. By what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. 
This is a really important moment. We're not exegeting this, but just to kind of, again, make sure you see the context. Being Jews, being called before the scribes and the Pharisees, and they are saying, again, as parents, think about it. This is your son who born blind, and now he can see. As parents, what would be your heart at this moment? You would just be ecstatic and just overflowing with joy. And then the scribes and the Pharisees call you in. This just shows you the power and the grip they had on these people. They call you in and say, hey, is this your boy? Well, yes, that's our son. Well, was he born blind? Uh, yes. Well, how come he can now see? Notice their response. Yes, it's our son. Yes, he was born blind. How he sees, we don't know. You better ask him. He's an adult. Those of us with adult children, you ever feel like saying that? Ain't my problem. You're an adult. The pro Here's what I want to make sure you see. That this is why Jesus expressed so, only time you really see him expressing incredible righteous anger was when he encountered the, encountered the Pharisees. The grip they had on his people, there was no love, there was no spirituality, there was no God in it. It was, hey, if you tell us that this Jesus guy healed, and they knew it, it's their son. If you tell us this Jesus guy healed him, and he can now say, we're going to kick you out of synagogue, that's what's being implied in this dialogue. And for them to be kicked out of the synagogue, was to be excommunicated, it's the worst possible thing that could happen to you as a Jew. You couldn't go to temple. You couldn't go to synagogue. Nobody was going to admit that they knew you or do business with you anymore because you'd been excommunicated. You're going to lose everything. And they're terrified of the Pharisees. And so they say, he's an adult. You're going to have to ask him. We don't know. Ask him. Verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed or agreed that he was Christ, that person would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again, they called the man who was blind. They said to him, give God the glory. Sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. You see the hypocrisy in that one statement? They don't, have any, they don't know that Jesus... They've never seen him do anything wrong. Never, we know, obviously, he, was, he never committed a sin. They're saying to the man born blind, we want you to put down the guy who gave you back your eyesight and call him a sinner and agree with us. I love this dialogue. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. It's just so real. I don't know whether the dude is a sinner or not. Here's what I do know. One thing I know Though I was blind, now I see. I love that. You can put down Jesus all you want. It's so important, by the way, when you're sharing your faith. People can reject the Bible. They can reject Jesus. They can't reject your personal experience. They can't reject what he's done for you. That's why it's called your testimony. This is what he's done for me. I believe he can change your life. He's changed mine. All this guy said, I don't know what you're talking about. All I know was I was blind. This guy took care of, the, care of it, and I can now see. You take it from there. And they said to him again, verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered and said, I told you already. You didn't listen. 
Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? Now the guy's getting a little peeved. And he actually, sarcastically says, so what, what, you guys want to follow Jesus? I I don't blame you, but do you want to follow him? He already knows what's going to happen to him, by the way, at this point. Might as well get his shots in. Verse 28. They reviled him again, mocking, reviled. You're his disciple, and we're Moses' disciples. Remember, if you're a Jew, and you, you, toss it, you start not dropping names, and you drop Moses, what does that mean? Oh, all right. He knows Moses. Wow. We're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. And the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he is from. Yet, he's opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. In other words, this is a historic moment. No one with congenital blindness, as far as we know, has ever been healed. But I am here to tell you that guy healed me. Historic moment. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Verse 34, the Pharisees answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you're teaching us? Self-righteous. Again, please see the context when Jesus deals with these guys. They are 100% self-righteous. Totally missing the scriptures that they're experts in. You're teaching us? They answered and said, you were completely born in sins. You're teaching us. And they cast him out. That means they excommunicated him in the synagogue. Now notice verse 35. You see such a beautiful contrast here from self-righteous, false shepherd to a loving, gracious God who is a shepherd. Verse 35, Jesus heard they'd cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus answered and said, you have both seen him, and he is talking with you. What a cool moment. The Pharisees kick him out of the synagogue. Please notice, what does Jesus do? He hears about it and does what? He goes looking. He found him, which meant what? He had to go looking for him. He finds him and says, they may have kicked you out. I'm going to give you new life. Look at verse 38. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Remember, what's John chapter 10 about? Jesus is saying, you got to make a decision. I am God. Are you going to worship me? Or are you going to be self-righteous like the Pharisees? Remember, the audience is Jewish. And if you were a Jew, like the blind beggar, you've just been kicked out of Judaism because you are saying, that he wasn't even a follower of Christ yet. He was just saying, Jesus performed a miracle on me and they cast him out. Very loving, caring shepherds, weren't they? They cast him out because he didn't fit their legalistic, self-righteous program. Jesus goes and finds him and says, I, do you believe? Lord, I believe. I worship you. Jesus changed his life. Despite his culture, despite his surroundings, all as a Jew that he was going to face, Jesus had changed his life. And he worshiped him. 
worshipped him. The Pharisee just simply kick him out. All right, now go to verse 6. With me, John 10, verse 6. Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. What we're going to be looking at here is Jesus, this is not a parable. This is an illustration that Jesus is going to share with the Pharisees in particular in the immediate moment with the bigger principle, immediate context. He's going to share with the Pharisees, this is what I want you to take away from me healing this blind man and your response to him. I want you to see the true shepherd versus you. It's very accusatory. It's very up in their face. He's trying to get them to understand your righteousness is all about you and mine is about grace. Law versus grace. I'll give them new life. He's going to contrast, again, their blindness. All right, let's get into point one on your handout. Didn't take us but 20 minutes to get through that intro. I was very impressed with myself. Jesus' illustration, point one. He's the true shepherd. Again, there's a twofold thing going on here. Number one, he's rebuking the Pharisees using the context we just shared about the blind man. He's going to rebuke them for their response. And number two, he's going to warn the rest of the crowd, the other Jews, who are you going to follow? You're going to make a decision. Are you going to follow these blind shepherds, these false guides, blind guides, false shepherds? You're going to follow them like you have your whole life and your parents did, your grandparents. Can you imagine what difficult this would be? All they'd ever known were the Pharisees. All they'd ever known was their legalism. And Jesus comes along, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but he, he says to them later on, or in another context, I don't want you praying like the Pharisees. I don't want you giving like the Pharisees. I don't want you fasting like the Pharisees. I don't, I don't want you to be like the Pharisees. Their whole lives, what have they been taught? Be like the Pharisees. They're our spiritual leaders. And then this Jesus of Nazareth comes along and says, they're not spiritual at all. They're blind guides. They're poisonous snakes. They're taking people to hell. It's very tough. That's what he's doing here. I've told you many times, read Matthew 23. We'll get into some of that in a couple of weeks, where Jesus woes them. Woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. You don't, as I've said many times, you could quote me, and I think I'm going to write this book. You don't want to be woed on by Jesus. He will be your judge one day, and you don't want to hear woe. You want to hear well done, good and faithful servant, not woe unto you. And he says to them, woe unto you, in Matthew 23, over and over again. It's very tough language. That's what's going on here. Same thing. It's going to contrast them in twofold reason for the illustration. One, to rebuke the Pharisees, get their attention. And two, warn everyone else, don't be like them. Follow me. I'll give you eyesight. I'll set you free. I'll give you new life. I am God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said these words, Beware of the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. So the Pharisees were, quote, their shepherds. And what Jesus is saying is they may look like a shepherd, but on the inside, they are ravenous wolves. If you are a sheep, what's the one thing you're scared of more than anything else? A ravenous wolf. You're going to be dinner for a ravenous wolf. 
And Jesus said, that's who they are. He said, now he wants to explain to them who's the true shepherd. Look at verse 1. Most assuredly I say to you, and there it is again, that very powerful statement in Greek. I, with absolute authority, speak to you absolute truth. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, that same as a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. True shepherd, number one, he enters by the door. For example, when you got here today, how did you come in the building? Did any of you like climb up through the roof and slide down? And I don't think so. We've had some birds that have done that, but it was funny. The first time, the first time that happened, we had a bird. I don't got in back in him just flying around in here and, and you know, trying to get, and, and finally, I don't know how uh, one of the ladies did, but she got him just to, uh, opened the door. We're trying to get him to fly out and he flew right into the window and just splattered. It was, and then they said, Randy, you want to clean that up? I'll too. I said, all right, I'll, I'll take care of that. So here's Jesus' first point. Remember the illustration. Remember these are Jews and remember what a big deal shepherds and sheep were to Jews. Their culture, their economy, so much of it. David was a shepherd. So much of it's wrapped around that. So the true shepherd, number one, he enters by the door. Very familiar thing to them. Look at verse 2 again. Verse 1. He does not enter, excuse me, most sure to say to you, the true shepherd, he does not enter the sheepfold by the door. The shepherd, he climbs up the other way. That is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. All right. The shepherd comes through by the door. The thief and the robber, who we'll see later, the, the, the Pharisees, they, they sneak in. They climb up over the rock wall. They come in another way because they're not true. They're not coming in by the one entrance. Don't miss that. There's only one entrance to the sheepfold. Now let's talk about this illustration, something they would very clearly understand. What's a sheepfold? Very familiar to his audience, the master teacher. Palestine was infested with wild animals like ravenous wolves, beasts, which would be simply, they were pray, the sheep would have been prey to them, would have been constantly, they would have been ravaging them. So each village had a sheepfold. It was a common sheepfold where different shepherds would bring their herds, their flocks. It was, it was protected normally by like a 10, 12 foot high wall of rocks all night. And it would be, the, the, each shepherd would bring his flock and put them in the sheepfold all night. All, in, all the different flocks of the shepherds that would be in that particular sheepfold kind of like you know, guys get together who are hunters and they all buy, you know, they split the cost of a, a piece of land so they all can hunt. These, these guys would pay for their sheep fold and then you bring your sheep to the fold. All right. At night, the shepherd would bring them, put his flock in at the door because he was welcome. He was a true shepherd and left it with the doorkeeper, come back to that, for caring and protection. It was a porter they hired to protect the sheep overnight. So you had a bunch of different flocks in there together. The doorkeeper, one door, which like at this stage is the door. The doorkeeper would lay down in front of the door and lay there, sleep there all night so that no one could come, who was not supposed to be there, could come through and get to the sheep. For, for care and protection, the gatekeeper or the doorkeeper would lay across the door of the sheepfold all night to protect from thieves, robbers, wild animals. Verse 1 again, the only way in was through that door. 
the legitimate way in was through the door where the doorkeeper was. The true shepherd would enter by that door. Again, only one door. All the others were thieves and robbers. And Jesus, the you that choose there in verse 1, is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. You are thieves and robbers. And in verse 2, when it says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd, that's a Greek definite article. Very important. Greek definite article means there's only one of these. So if I had a flock of sheep, and Red had a flock of sheep, and Jerry had a flock of sheep, Darren had a flock of sheep, all God's children got a flock of sheep. We'd bring them to the sheepfold, we'd let them into the door. It's such a beautiful picture. God knows what he's doing. We would be, next point on your outline, we'd be welcomed by the doorkeeper. Verse 3. To the, to the true shepherd, Greek definite article, the true shepherd for that flock, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Beautiful picture. Here's what he's saying. The next day, Darren comes and Rhett comes and Jerry comes and Randy comes. My flock's in there. Their flocks are in there. Jerry walks up to the door and he just starts calling his sheep. And the only sheep that leave and follow Jerry are which ones? Jerry's sheep. Because they know his voice. We're going to see more about that in a moment. It's a beautiful picture. So then Darren calls his sheep. And the only sheep that follow Darren are the ones that know his voice. Rhett's sheep, they know Rhett's voice. My sheep know my voice. They follow their shepherd because they know their shepherd loves them. We'll take care of them. We'll feed them. We'll protect them. We'll go before them. Everything you read in Psalm 23, picturing the Messiah. Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. My shepherd, he leads me to green pastures, beside still waters. All those metaphors. Sheep are terrified animals. They just are scared of everything. And the shepherd just calms them down, takes care of them. When they're with the shepherd, they know they're going to be okay. I know you know that, but I hope it comforts you. That's what Jesus is trying to get that crowd to understand. These shepherds don't give a rip about you. Who do they care about? Themselves. They're using you. I am the true shepherd. And the example is, I gave this guy his eyesight. They kicked him out of the synagogue. Who loves him? Clearly Jesus did. They excommunicated him took away his livelihood, took away his life, any chance. I gave him his eyesight and I gave him eternal life. I love him. So the true shepherd is welcomed by the doorkeeper. Drop down to verse 16 for a moment. We'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but verse 16. Jesus says, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. I love this also. We'll talk more about this as I said in a couple of weeks. But here's the idea. Everything he's talking about in this immediate context is Jewish. 
the sheepfold, the shepherd, for them understanding false shepherds, true shepherd. But he said, I got some other sheep that I'm going to bring into the sheepfold too. And they're not Jewish. They're Gentiles. And there's only going to be one shepherd. And there's only going to be one voice that matters. It's mine because we're going to have a church. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. We're one, Paul wrote in Ephesians. Jesus saying, I got something special for you. You're going to be my body. You're going to be my bride. I got something special for you. These Pharisees only want to hurt you, use you. And when they're through with you, they'll throw you out like they did the blind beggar. I'm going to give you your sight and I'm going to heal you spiritually because I'm the true shepherd. Please see this contrast. So important. Then verse three again. The next point, the sheep follow the true shepherd. He's followed by the sheep. The doorkeeper opens, verse three, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he brings out his own sheep, he, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. Well, they know his voice. That they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay. So he's followed by the sheep. You see the three things. We're not going to go into great detail. We'll just kind of hit it and move on. He calls them by name. Another very important picture here. You got Jerry's flock, Darren's flock, Rhett's flock, my flock. I know my sheep, and each of them know their sheep, and they call them by name. Remember Jesus giving the great parable, like the, the uh, parable of, of uh, the sheep? He had the 99 and had 100, and one runs off. What does the shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and does what? I got to go. I got to go find the one, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. The father loves individually. Such a beautiful picture. We'll see it as we walk through this. That even though Jesus has a church of billions of people, I am so important to him. He knows me by name. He knows every moment of my life before I was ever born, he knew. He knows every hair lack thereof on my head. Everything, every moment, he knows and loves me. You. That's why every day you should wake up and every day that you go to bed, this should be on your lips. Thank you, Lord, for being my Savior. I know it's been a tough time and, and is a tough time in so many ways for you guys. But here's what I know. Jesus is your shepherd. He's going before you. Notice the picture here. He calls them by name. They follow him. They follow him because they recognize his voice. He calls, quote, his own sheep. Think about this. You read through the Gospels. And you ought to read the Gospels on a regular basis, just like you would read a novel or a short story, just to be reminded of what your Savior did when he walked the planet. Think about it like this. He says he calls them by name. Nicodemus came to him at night, knew everything about him. 
Nicodemus came at night because he was terrified of the other Pharisees. Zacchaeus, short little guy, up in a tree. What does Jesus say to him? Zacchaeus, not hey, you, tax collector. Zacchaeus, I want you to come down. I want to go eat dinner with you at your house today. By name, he calls Zacchaeus. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus went out of his way to go meet that woman when no Jew would do. It's particularly a rabbi. Zacchaeus, no, Jews didn't hang out with them. Matthew became one of his disciples, a tax collector. Philip called him by name. The man born blind we've been talking about. The cripple at Bethesda. He knew him individually. Mary Magdalene, on and on. Because there's a message there for us. He knows you. Just the way sheep are. I read an article this week or a story this week about a sheep rancher in Australia. It was just funny. And he was arrested it's a true story, for stealing one of his neighbor's sheep. He was arrested. He vigorously maintained his innocence and said, said it was not, I wasn't stealing his sheep. It was one of, one of my, mine that had gotten away and ended up in my neighbor's sheepfold, whatever they call it. The case went to court and there was no evidence either way to decide it. So the judge called for a recess and he asked that the sheep be brought in. The sheep in question be brought into the courtroom. So they brought it into the courtyard right outside the courtroom. And so he asked the neighbor, would you to step outside and call the sheep? One who had accused him of stealing. He did that. And the sheep didn't make any response. He looked, he raised his head and he was scared looking, looked frightened. And the judge instructed the accused, the thief, to do the same thing. He went in the courtyard used his own distinctive call, and he called the sheep. As soon as he did, that sheep ran toward the door and that familiar voice. The judge came back in and said, he recognized his voice, this case is dismissed. That's what sheep do. They trust and follow their shepherd. Now look at verse 3. He also leads them out, verse 3. The doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. For just a moment, look back at verse 34 of chapter 9. Verse 34, they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, the Pharisees speaking, you're teaching us, and they cast him out. It's the exact same word in Greek. Again, the contrast being shown to us. The exact same word in Greek, they cast him out, let him out, you're not welcome here. What does Jesus do? He leads them out to take care of them. They let him out to get rid of him. Please don't miss the contrast. Same Greek word. They cast the blind beggar out. Jesus let him out to sight and freedom. Verse 4, not only leads them out, he goes before them. He brings out his own sheep. He goes before them. Again, same picture. The shepherd goes before the sheep so they know it's safe. They follow him because they do know his voice. He makes sure that everything is cool, there'll be no problems, I'm going to protect you. 
Then he leads them, Psalm 23 picture, to good pasture. And he's always there with them. Let me give you a sermon, next devotional. They all begin with P, so you can alliterate like you went to seminary. He protects them, he provides for them, and his presence is always with them. Classic sermon of Psalm 23. He's there. I'm going to protect you, I'm going to provide for you, and I'll always be there for you. And then he's trusted by them, verse 4. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. They know his voice. They will by no means follow a stranger, but will, will flee from the stranger, for they do not know his voice. The shepherd is trusted by these sheep. They follow him because they know him. He's proven over, and I love this picture. He's proven over and over daily, day in, day out. He's proven what to these sheep? I'm going to take you to good pasture. You're going to be safe. I'm going to lead you there. I'm going to protect you. And then when it's all said and done, at nighttime, I'm going to take you back to the sheepfold where you're going to be taken care of. I'll always take care of you. Remember when Jesus taught us how to pray? We all memorize the Lord's Prayer. To give us this day our daily bread. The summary of this point one, that's kind of, I think we're going to stop here today, is this. Isaiah 53, the Bible says the following. We all, Isaiah 53, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. By nature, we're sheep. I, I'm just going to do what I think I want to do for me. Sin. It's all about me. Jesus' illustration. Sheep are incredibly vulnerable animals. They have no natural means of defense. They don't have any real sharp teeth or claws. They'll often die simply from panic. They'll just freak out and drop dead because they're scared to death, pardon the pun. All we like sheep have gone astray. They need the safety and the security of their shepherd. If sheep aren't shorn, their fur cut away on or whatever it's called, or wool on a regular basis, the excess of it they'll die from because they get too hot. They have to be cared for. They have to have haircuts on a regular basis. If they don't get it cut, they'll die from the excess heat calls for excess heat. If they're left alone, they'll eat, they'll just stay where they are and they'll eat till there's no grass left. And then they start eating each other's poop because they're dumb. They need guidance. This is good for me. This is not good for you. You ever had a child pick up something and put it in their mouth they shouldn't? If you've had children, you have. I heard somebody the other day, that's a true story. Thank God the person, the child lived this was an adult telling stories that when he was little, his mother came running just freaking out. He had picked up something, just drinking it that she had on the counter. It was Drano. You got to be careful with kids. They need what? They need protection. Think about when your children, some of you still have little bitty ones, and I realize that. I'm praying for you. Really, I'll be praying for you when they become teenagers. That would be uh, the, the, probably the when, when When they were little, like preschool, 
early elementary, up until maybe fourth, fifth grade now, I guess it is, and I'm not sure. But they, you could do no wrong, right? That mommy and dad, you're like gods. Whatever you said went. They trusted you. They loved you. They respected you. They thought you knew what you were talking about. Ask them when they're about 14. Dad said it. Well, Dad said it. Well, please, I'm not doing Of course not. I think I used to tell my kids the opposite of what I wanted them to do because then they would think, well, the, he's stupid, so I'm going to do the other. I remember one of my daughters, I told her to stay off a particular road, Ellis Road, where all the hills are. We lived in Bartlett. She was going to Davyshire all the time, and I told her to stay off that road. She's just been driving for a while. She calls me one night about 10 o'clock. She's supposed to be home a certain time. She called on what it was 10, 10.30. She said, Dad, I've had a wreck. And my first response was what? You're on Ellis Road, aren't you? Sure enough, guess where she was? On Ellis Road. She need guidance. They'll do dumb things. You don't see any wild sheep. They couldn't live. They get lost, they get sick, they die. They get stuck. There's an old phrase called cast down. You'll see in the Bible and other places. That's what happens to sheep. They get cast down and they can't get up. I feel that way too. I fall down and help. I can't, I can't get back up. They'll eat anything that's in front of them, including poison plants. This is the last thing I want to share with you. Showing the, the true shepherd. If a shepherd has sheep that are not listening, you ever had children that didn't listen? To protect that sheep, to care for that sheep, if he's got one that keeps wandering off and doesn't do what he tells him to do, he'll break his legs. Now that sounds cold, doesn't it? He breaks the sheep's legs and he carries him, the shepherd does, until the legs heal. And after that point, that sheep was never leave what? Never leave the shepherd's side again because he cared for him, carried him everywhere he needed to go. But he had to break his legs to get his attention. Sheep need to be cared for, protected, guided, and disciplined. We need Jesus. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we thank you that Jesus is the true shepherd. We thank you that in Christ we know that. We have a relationship with you because of him. He is the true shepherd. So Lord, I pray for us as, as sheep that we would make that choice that Jesus is so graphically pointing out in chapter 10. You gotta make a choice. Worship, follow me. There is no other God. I am. Worship, follow me. Or you will be led astray and all the other gods that exist will hurt you. They don't care. They don't love you like I do. I am the true shepherd. Thank you for that simple metaphorical picture that's so beautiful, Father. Pray we would surrender to and follow Jesus as the true shepherd. We pray in his name. Amen. Please stand if you would while we close out our time together.
Mention a couple of things to you, and then I'm going to ask Rhett to come close us in uh, prayer. That'd be you, Rhett. He doesn't like being called Rhett, I don't know, even though that's his name. If you're visiting with us today, we really appreciate you being here and choosing to worship with us at Christ Church. And we've got a gift for you out at our Welcome Center coffee bar out in the lobby. If you've got any questions, my email address is on there, and Rhiannon's, and contact one of us, and we'd love to answer questions for you. What is a Christ church? And uh, 
Uh, we, we've been calling a lot of different things and a lot of different uh, assumptions are made, but uh, you, it's easy to find out, but we'd love to talk to you if, if we can help in any way. Thank you again, just uh, whether you're here or watching virtually, just thank you for your faithfulness and giving and as we watch progress happening next door and different things going on, we're excited about that. Uh, yesterday, I think, we, I think we fed, what, 250 approximate families yesterday. Again, thank you for making that possible. It's just cool to see that happen. The last thing I want to share with you from my heart, I encourage you if you can make Wednesday nights again, but I want to share with you from my heart for a moment and have Rhett pray. Um, talking about the enemy in that song, and it reminded me, and, and I was struggling with whether we're going to talk about this or not. Uh, we're all tar tired of talking about masking and vaccinating and pandemics. And it's, it's splitting families. It's splitting churches. Satan has found something that he's really using. Um, you need, for example, you want to wear a mask on Sunday morning? You wear it. Uh, we're under the governor's mandate, and we don't have to require them, but there are people that want to. If you see somebody wearing one, respect that, understand why they're wearing it, and uh, we love each other, and we don't need to divide over this and let Satan get victory, even in, no matter how temporary it is, and who knows? We just don't know. What we do know is that our God goes before us, and he's already in tomorrow, and that we're going to love him and trust him, and uh, if I want to go in Walgreens, I put a mask on because they require it. Uh, if you want to come in this building, Monday through Friday, 6 to 6, you got to put a mask on because DHS requires it. That's okay. I can do that. And um, just relax. Love each other. And uh, this is a nasty virus that they're still learning about. And a lot of it's confusing. But it is real. And we need to love each other and persevere and not say put down your brothers in Christ, love and pray for each other. I know that was kind of rambling, but I just want you guys to know I love you and I hate seeing that, that division. I just, uh, there's a reason Paul writes so much about schism, what it can do in, in a church and uh, just love each other and realize you're not gonna agree on everything. If some people wanna have hair, the rest of us are spiritual. I mean, it's just the way it is. See, some have hair and some are spiritual. It's the way it is. Pray for us, my brother. again. Who's going to leave them this time? Last week it was Dick Hunter. I took him to his house on the way home. <laughs> 